When life is difficult, Samaritans are here. Day or night, 365 days a year. You can call them for free on 116 123. Email them at joe at or visit Whatever you're facing, the Samaritans are here to listen. Welcome to the Beer Podcast. My name's Nick Minns. Um, on today's podcast, I am joined by Antonia Hutchinson, who has uh, kindly given up some of her busy time to come on and uh, and talk this morning. So, Antonia, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and, uh, as I say, just giving up your time to talk. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem at all. Um, so, I think first, first thing really is if you want to just give basically a little bit of a background and obviously from your Instagram page that you're a hypnotherapist, but just a little bit centered around what got you into mental health and if you've had any past issues yourself. Yeah. So, so I've worked with people for many years in adult social care um, in various capacities, both face-to-face and managing teams. So I've quite a lot of experience in sort of the issues that people face out in the community. Um, And there was a a big theme around mental health. Um, So, so yeah, I've sort of got a lot of experience on that side. So I've been in that field um, for many years. And then about five or six years ago, I had quite a lot of bereavements altogether and traumatic events all within the space of a year and in that time I had my little baby as well so that really um, forced me to reevaluate what I were doing with my life and I was like wow like this is quite big now I need to stop and um, pause and take time to heal Um, and I was looking at sort of different um, healing techniques and stuff because I really wanted to get to the the root cause and the nuggets and I was like I want to sort you know why is this happening obviously you can't help bereavements but sort of other things that happened you know probably were preventable anyway so I um I found like the power of the subconscious mind and like how a lot of our issues can come from our belief systems and and things like that um so I retrained in hypnotherapy obviously I used used it with myself and I thought wow this is powerful and I I was just really pulled to be like everyone needs to know about this why isn't this like common practice and why isn't doesn't everyone know about it there's still I think a big stigma around hypnotherapy and when you say it to people they're like oh oh can you make me go to sleep oh I'll just have a nice lay you know or can you make me cook like a chicken and all the other things and it's like and as funny as that is, it's quite sad, really, because you think, wow, it's like a really powerful tool that people could be using, yet we're still sort of laughing at it and thinking it's like... Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to um, to retrain and then so I could help other people by sharing the tools that I'd learned because um, I do think it's really powerful. So, yeah. It's funny when you talk about that stigma because, it, you know... People will probably think it's you sat in a room with a, a pocket watch on a on a on a thing and just going that you know or listen to my voice you know and and I think I think that you know there's 
obviously, how can I, I, I was a little bit more naive to other other treatments and things like that. But since kind of going through stuff myself and speaking to individuals and having people on the podcast or, or in that field, it's amazing how many people have actually been able to experience some real success stories as well um through kind of going through that that subconscious um it, it, well it's, it's dealing with a with a subconscious man didn't it really yeah so before we kind of start talking a little bit about the the kind of hypnotherapy and and, and what that looks like just go back so you so you had so numerous bereavements um in in your in your in your life um and trauma and then obviously having having a baby is traumatic enough <laughs> with without without you know anything else on top so um what did that kind of phase of your life look like from maybe someone from from you know if, if someone was looking in what would that have looked like at that time what sort of things were you going through so at that time so I was on I was on maternity leave. I'd just bought a beautiful house and the the events that occurred from there were just like boom, boom, boom. And it was just like, whoa. Um, and to the outside world, no one would have known anything because I've always been, you know, you put your face on, you do your hair and you get up and you go to work. And that was always my coping mechanism just to um, dive into the 60-hour weeks or whatever and just like... And then um, people would often applaud you. They'd be like, oh, look at her. She just, she just cracks on, look. And um, so no one would have known. But inside, I actually felt like, I was like, wow, I just felt numb. Um, it was quite a scary place to be, really, because I knew. And it was even more scary. And I think that's what catapulted the deep healing. I was like, let's get to the bottom of all this and let's really heal. Uh, because I had my little boy. And I know that if you if you don't heal from these things, you can pass on, you know, your wounding and your I didn't want and, you know, I wanted to be in a space where I felt fully happy and at peace. Um, so I felt like I owed it to myself and to him to do that uh, healing process. Um, so, yeah, inside, I just felt like numb. I would say I would try and escape. I'd be like, let's just uh, go for a walk. Let's just, you know, anything to escape it. But um but yeah, so that's I decided to start the healing. I mean, how did how did you find that? Um, I suppose you you saying to yourself to stop, and obviously being the the kind of very similar to myself, like a creature of habit of I've got to keep going, I've got to keep pushing on through this. You know, you you put your face on, put the mask on, off we go, we get on with it. You know, what was it like to kind of finally stop and and what sort of feelings did you go through? I suppose we, you know, in, individually having to kind of come to that point of, right, I've, I need to stop. Yeah, well, I was quite fortunate because I think being on maternity leave, I didn't have the option to go and do 60-hour weeks. So that was a big bonus. Obviously, I had my little boy who, you know, 24-7 needing support. Um, so he helped sort of the focus, but I think having that nine months, you know, year maternity actually, um, was a really good opportunity to have that time. Cause I think when we're in the rat race of working nine to five or plus hours every day, we're having to get up and, and do this, it makes it really hard 
um, to be able to do that. So for me, having that time to slow down and pause and then work out a plan of how I could uh, move forward really helped. Ben, your question there. I think I've no, 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 no. I, I, you know, going off on tangents is is what I love. That you know, it 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 suits me because I end up going off on tangents sometimes, so that's no issues. Um, when you're looking at so the hypnotherapy side of things, what was it that I suppose that you felt benefited you more than what if you like the kind of standard CBT and um, talk other other talking therapies? What was it for you that really brought that to be the thing that you chose for your um, recovery um well I have used CBT therapies within it as well because I think they're really powerful tools and the talking side um that you'd incorporate um but the the hypnosis side allows you to get to places that you wasn't even aware of so like for example I won't go too deep but like uh, public speaking like to promote my business I've always wanted to like be able to feel comfortable public speaking and it's one of the most common fears like people are just really scared to put themselves out there and speak and even like two years ago I wouldn't want to take a selfie and put it on social media because I was just like oh it's just cringy it's awful um but that so something as simple as like public speaking it allows you to get to the the deep beliefs like what why am I so scared of like speaking on camera why am I scared of speaking publicly because I had to do it in my old job and my palms are sweaty I'd be like panicking like you know struggling to catch my breath I'd be so like and it was just awful but so that was um one way in which hypnotherapy helped because it's like I could get to those uh, beliefs that I had about myself that was stopping me um you know from being able to feel comfortable doing that so once you can get to those beliefs, you can then start to decide, well, what new beliefs do I want? And then you can start to work with reprogramming your mind, which is like the neuroplasticity side, you know, like training your brain to with repetition. And yeah. So, so. It's not, it, 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 it sounds, the more, the more I talk to people about it and the more I kind of think, Oh, you know, I've I've had all the kind of CBT and and, and talking therapies, and it's it's one thing which I've I've always been kind of intrigued of, and I think even more so talking to kind of individuals like yourself, um, because I do believe that there's some things that are almost in little lock boxes in your brain, and getting to them consciously is really difficult. So. You know, I used to, I had a, a friend on the podcast before who said that he felt like the only time he ever got to things or started having these um, kind of thoughts which went within his kind of normal day thought process when he was asleep. He said, oh, when I, when I used to go to bed at night, he used to think of all sorts. And he said, I'd wake up and I'd be like, where did that come from? And then the more he started looking through it and then he, he actually ended up going through with some, uh, some hypnotherapy and he, he actually it was very similar to what was going on in his dreams. So it was, it was a real, a real kind of, you know, light bulb moment for himself to kind of think, right, this is, this is, this is, you know, big really. So, I mean, what does, I suppose anybody who's listening and maybe thinks, you know, they're going to look like someone just speaking really calmly with Camille and, you know, what does a, a, a if you like a, 
a typical well, so that's not typical. But what does a hit the hit the therapy session look like? So, so if I was coming in now, what would it what would it look like? So generally, so with any hypnotherapy session, you would have an initial consultation, and that's basically just a chat talking about um, why you want hypnotherapy and where you want to get to, um, and then the sessions themselves are sort of a talking therapy part. So where we just have a discussion around like what's important to you, what are your changes, where you want to be. Um, and each session would be like that. And it might be different, you know, obviously some might, you might want to talk about your childhood. Some people absolutely don't. Some want to talk about work, you know, whatever is important to you and what your goals are, what's affecting you at that time. So we dedicate the first part of the session to that. And then the second part is the hypnosis side. So I would, um, we would have that hypnosis session. I'd gather the information, what you've talked about, what's important to you, the changes you want to make. And then I'd use that to talk to you about it. So I'd get you into a nice relaxed state. Some people like to lay down. Some people like to sit down, just get nice and comfy. Um, and then, yeah, obviously I'd change my tone a bit and be a bit more <laughs> relaxing. Uh, might be a bit of music and just get you nice and calm. Um. And yeah, I'll just talk to you about those changes and sort of almost like plant those suggestions within your mind. So you'll be totally aware. A lot of people are totally, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, tell you to do something that you don't want to do or because that's a, a big fear for people like, oh, are you going to, you know, turn me into something or make me? And it's like, no, you'll be quite aware. Some things you might miss um, that I've said in the hypnotherapy session and it might come back to you later in the day you'll be like oh yeah I remember speaking about like a purple butterfly you know or something random um but yeah so the quiz really it's quite relaxing obviously there might be parts if there's something uh, quite traumatic that's happened um that's coming up for you in that session uh, you might start to feel emotional and that's quite normal as well. So it'd be just like guiding you through that process. Um, but yeah, that's what we'd call sort of an ab reaction. You know, if someone feels quite teary and, and that's quite normal because I think bringing your emotions up to the surface level is always really good to allow you to, you know, process them, release them and everything. So, yeah, it's just guiding you through that. So the first part is the talking. The second part is the hypnotherapy. And then it's just bringing your background, hopefully feeling good. But, you know, as I say, if you've processed difficult emotions, you might feel a bit emotional at the end. Um, and then we'd tie up the end of the session, look at what we'd covered, and then look at what we'd cover next time. Um, so, yeah, I have had sort of smoking sessions where people have only needed one, so they've not felt the need to come back because they're like would planned a second session they'd be like actually I've stopped I've got no desire to have a thing <laughs> like that's it now I'm like oh brilliant um, and I would never encourage someone to come back for a second session where they feel like that's been met do you know what I mean the girls have been met so you say that so do you call it a smoking session so if someone has um is addicted to smoking or right. vaping um, and they've wanted to stop smoking cessation we call it and um, so they've come they want to stop smoking so we do a session around that 
uh, we'd talk about it. I might send a few information leaflets before that session and then we'd have that session. Um, and yeah, I've had people after one session say that's, you know, I've stopped. I don't have the desire anymore. So they've not needed to come back. Um, wow, that, that's amazing. Like to, yeah, to think that you can actually stop that, that, I suppose, like counteract them sorts of things as well. Again, do you think that's because it gets to the root cause of why they actually started smoking? Often, yeah. And sometimes it's like, like I said, it's all at a subconscious level. So, I mean, I had somebody else that wanted to uh, change their healthy living habits. So there's like, I want to eat healthier. I just want to manage my weight and such. And within that, they felt like they were drinking a bit, but that wasn't the main issue why they was coming. Uh, but from the session, the first session, they went away and they said, like, what have you done? Like, I don't want a drink. People are offering me a drink. I actually usually would fancy one and I'm just saying no, and I don't know why, because that wasn't the main objective. They were drinking more and it was, you know. But yeah, it was like, so their subconscious mind had obviously interpreted, I want to be healthier and a healthy lifestyle with cutting out drink. So um, yeah, it's quite fascinating. And that's why it can look different to everyone because I might, my beliefs might tell me that alcohol is healthy. So it, in my session, it wouldn't even consider putting drink. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's obviously the suggestions I'm offering, but ultimately it's how our subconscious mind processes that based on our beliefs because they're absolutely different to everybody based on our experiences yeah, our yeah. and everything like that. So it is, it's really fascinating. And that's it's, why no, no two people can have the same sort of outcome. I mean, do you think that, that, that if you like beliefs and do you, do you think that's like a key thing that really drives a lot of if you like things like um addictions and um, well i suppose it, do you do it's kind of, do you think that beliefs are kind of the key and the, the key moments to a lot of i suppose issues or, or the way that we kind of live our lives as well yeah i think it's a big a big part of it um and that's based on like the people i've seen and like my own experiences as well and it's like you know, like if I'm procrastinating about something or if I'm self-sabotaging, I often self-sabotage is self-protection. I'm protecting myself from something. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And it often, so when you think, where is this coming from? What am I protecting myself from in this situation? Then you go back and back and you try and pinpoint. It's like, oh, there's a belief here, you know. Um, for example, I, this isn't someone I've seen, but there was someone that um, they really wanted um, to lose weight and they'd been overweight for a lot of their life and they didn't know why. Um, and when they looked into it, they got to the root cause of it and there was some issues around abuse. Then it was like, okay, their belief system had meant that they felt if they were overweight that no one would find them attractive, therefore they couldn't experience abuse again. Um, so... But consciously, they would never have been aware of that. But when they got to the root cause of it, it's like, oh, right. So my brain is processed and thought a way of keeping me safe is to be overweight so that no one ever feels that I'm attractive to, a, you know, to be at yeah, risk. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, um, yeah, it's quite, 
and that's all around beliefs um and it sounds so simple doesn't it but when you yeah start, yeah and it could so it can be applied to a lot of things like when you get to what's the belief about this um so, I say, yeah. it, it, so it's so fast I'm, I'm just I'm thinking of all these questions in my head trying to get a colour. So, I mean, that's even really interesting that what they maybe thought was something completely different was actually driven by something which was probably a lot more subconsciously hidden and protected. Um, yeah. So it was almost like a protective behaviour almost that they were that were, they were trying to, to do. I mean, that's, and that's amazing. A lot of self-sabotage and procrastination, it is like a self-protection. We always think it's like a bad thing, like, oh self-sabotage is sabotaging you it's bad and it's stopping you from doing what you want to do but actually when you look at within there's something that that self-sabotaging behavior is protecting you from so it's like getting to that like what are you protecting yourself from um, I, mean, I mean I always used to and I never realized this until I kind of had like a real like a really deep um kind of CBT session and it was it was really funny because it it, it almost just, you know, like sometimes you kind of get into a conversation that much that then you just start saying stuff that you haven't even really, I suppose, in a way, thought that was there. And I'd, I always kind of said that I was self-sabotaging. As soon as I, I did something, I would constantly then start almost looking for reasons why I can't and and you know I, I would completely sabotage myself from getting involved in certain things but it was driven by a fear of failure and also by a fear of individuals judging me as well so which is which was something that I started to realize I suppose really affected the way that I was acting out you know within within um within like my my job and within kind of like my coaching role it was keeping everyone happy at my you know at my expense really you know I wasn't particularly happy at all but it was almost like as as long as everyone else is happy that's fine because then I'll and it wasn't that I wanted to be seen in a good light but I suppose because I was so I was so fretful of of failing and then fretful of people seeing me in a negative light because I'd already seen myself in such a negative light as well. It kind of fueled all this thing to kind of keep circulating. So that's, that's where I kind of felt like it really got me to a point where I started not to look at it as kind of almost like an effective behavior. So it was just, Oh, this is something that's happening because it's, it's affecting me. It was almost like that was my brain just saying, Look, this is what we do. This is what we do to protect you. So, like, yeah, you're gonna suck at that. So don't do that. Even though it's maybe thinking, yeah, you might trip up and fall, but then at least you won't fall and feel like a failure. But sometimes, you know, you realize in life that sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to have them those knockbacks to to keep going forward. And that's it's a massive thing that because we all have fear fear of failure because they say that's how our brain is wired to keep it you know to stick with what's familiar because that is what's safe that's why like when children you try and try them with a, a new food they're like oh well this is not familiar this is dangerous and that's how humanity has evolved by sticking with what we know and knowing that that's safe but now that we've evolved like I think that's 
I mean, when you've pushed through that failure, do you feel like you've grown from that? And do you feel more confident? Like, how have you, because I know that when I have pushed through like the public speaking thing and just done it anyway, the sense of like satisfaction from that, I'm like, oh, I did it. Like, it wasn't perfect. I might have stuttered. I might have not known what to say, but I did it. So it's like, I always feel a great sense of satisfaction from that. How do you, how, how did you feel stepping through fear? And yeah, I mean, I say what I think one of the biggest things was I think especially kind of down to I suppose the football side of things like me coaching um I I mean at one point I nearly I nearly quit coaching altogether because I had such a, a negative um experience with a parent when I was coaching at under 11 so round about seven seven eight years ago now so it was literally my first coaching role. Never really done it before. Got into coaching, um, but I had such a, a negative experience with this gent who, who, who really kind of took took things to quite a personal level, um, with everything, and it really, I used to love it, and then it kind of just became like a chore, and then I started to realise that. I started to, to to kind of make everyone happy, and sometimes I'd I'd go to football and I'd feel physically sick because my brain was just saying, "Just, just let's leave it." Because if you were going to do, say for example, if I I'm, I used to think if I go and do a bad coaching session, and then someone pulls me up and says, "Oh, I don't really agree with what you've done there," or "Why did you do this?" and "Why did you do that?" I used to just think, "Right, that's." that's going to be me dumb because I'll, I will walk. But it was, it was almost like a, like a light bulb moment that, that happened. And and it, it was kind of before I started really struggling with a lot of my issues now. So it was just before lockdown and I'd kind of got completely out of boys football and gone into girls football. And it was starting a team from scratch. And I just thought, Do you know what? I'm just going to be honest with people and I'm just going to just set my stall out and this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do and kind of be true to my um, my kind of values as an individual and also as a coach as well. Instead of trying to please everyone else and go for wins and go for this, I'm just going to set my stall out and say, this is, this is my vision for what I want the, the team to be like, you know. I don't want it to be all about winning and success and trophies. I want it to be about a load of kids coming together, having fun, creating like a little family almost. You know, these are going to be individuals going to come through. Some of them may go on to pastures new, i.e. go on to higher things or or go to different clubs. But I want to enjoy that while I'm within it. And I also started doing all these sessions, which were just... It was almost like 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 carnage. Almost it was, it was structured, but because they're all young, and information doesn't flow as well as what I used to say with regards to like under sixteens and under fifteens coaching. You, you can say say one thing and and they'll know. Whereas a lot of eight year old girls, it's like nah, no, you're just gonna have to really simplify things. So I think by pushing myself through those barriers. And really kind of striving forward and I suppose finding that that truthful part of me 
and going to what was true and also kind of getting across, getting past that fear of failure as well and thinking, look, what, I think it was more like figuring out what does, what does success look like for me, not everyone else. So yeah. what does a successful training session look like? What does a successful podcast look like? What does, you know, it's not, what does that look like for everyone else from the outside looking in? It's more about what that looks like to me and being comfortable with that as well. So I think when I push through that, there was that air of, oh, we can't do this, we can't do this. And there was times where I was like on the phone about to text and say, you know, training's off, this is it, I can't do it. But then it was talking myself around and actually thinking, no, no, we can, we can do this. Let's just let's just take one step at a time and push through. So, yeah, but I, 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 now I have a, a totally different mindset around that now and I'll try and push myself even when I kind of feel like there's something that's kind of tugging me back and, and saying, don't do this, we'll kind of be like, right, let's just break it down and move forward. So, so yeah, that's really powerful, isn't it? I say it was, it was massive and it, and it really changed. I think the way I looked at myself as a, as a person and as an individual. And, and then I think when I started having kind of like the issues with like my depression, health anxiety and things like that, it really made me, I suppose, recognize as well those kind of behaviors, which I thought was protecting me, which were probably not. It was probably more detrimental that I actually stopped and took self-care because that was another thing I, I never really did a lot of and actually started taking time for me and pulling back when I needed to, you know, if I didn't feel like doing training, I didn't feel like, like, um, you know, doing something which I didn't feel comfortable in. I didn't feel a sense of guilt. It was more like now I feel comfortable saying, do you know what? I'm just having a bad day. Things have got on top of me. I'm just going to have a day out just to focus on me. I'll be back in a couple of days. Do you know, it was it was more like feeling more at ease to to do that, really. Well, that's massive, isn't it? That's something like when you are, because you've mentioned a few things like the fear of failure, like fitting in and... Um, yeah, I think that's massive. Just allowing you people pleasing. You've mentioned a lot, like yeah, wanting to like, yeah. and they're like <clears throat> often responses that we revert back to. Um, so yeah, that's massive, and often allowing yourself that space. That's the beauty of this work, and recognizing that just allowing yourself actually, it's a day off to do nothing or to do something that I really enjoy that's good for me. That's really powerful, isn't it? And getting to a place where you feel comfortable and confident doing that. Um, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. And 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 it and it's been a real it's been a real changing point, you know, like in 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 not just you know my life, but in my my day to day, but day to day, day to day, um, you know, role as a as a dad, as a coach, as as an husband, you know, it's all these different things which now it's had a, a positive influence on. So. I think those little wins end up being a big victory in the end because it's all it all builds up to make you, you know, a, a better a better version of you. And like some people have said to me, Well, what do you mean a better version of you? And I just say, I do you know what? I don't know what that better version of me is, but every time I improve, I feel like it just improves me a little bit more. So yeah. What that what that better version looks like, I don't know. I think they just think that I must just get really handsome 
and have loads of money and stuff. But yeah, that's not that's not what it looks like to me. Being a better version of me is me having a smile on my face and enjoying life and you know being comfortable as well. So that's kind of what I I see that as. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, you've said right. Like that does look different to everyone, doesn't it? Um, and I'm similar, like just being happy and at peace. And like even happy, that looks different to everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it is really just looking at I mean, I, I even I it was it was it was funny because it was a coach who said to me, you know, you need to you need to look at what success looks like for you, not everyone else. And that was really like I kind of drew back on that in a in a personal point of view as well and thinking yeah everybody's everybody's kind of definition of ex- of success is different do you know yeah. so you've got to you've just got to be truthful to kind of to who you are really and that i think that's massive especially on like where we met on instagram like social media um yeah, it just reminds me of like that space where like people are posting out stuff and you feel like you should stick with the algorithms and the trends and you ch- and it's almost like you can get drawn into that world and move away from the messages that you're trying to share and what's important to you. Do you know what I mean? Like like for me it is like Yeah, mental. yeah. I, I'm the same, you know. And I, I did go for a point of it with within my life of thinking you know, oh well, you know, seeing people who I used maybe go to school with and uh, you know, they're they're teachers now and they've got a nice house and they've got this and got that and but you'd almost get sucked into that that comparing despair of oh well I've got this, oh I ain't got that. But then you kind of think, right, what have you got? Be be grateful with what you have got and, and you know, having that I suppose that that gratitude of also what what you've got right now as an individual is, is is massive because I think people tend to see tend to see success as a you know within finances, money, good car, good house, good job. You know, whereas there's some people who I know who've worked the same nine to five job for twenty odd years and they're more than content in their life and they're happy with what they've got and you know they've got a good family you know around them and that's all they need they don't need anything any big posh cars or you know videos on instagram of them flashing all the money and everything in big suits and you know it it kind of falsifies like this way of living as well because you know that's a very small proportion of you know, the population who actually get, you know, who live like that. But I sometimes think if, if individuals are also going to look at possessions more than what they do, um, individuals, family, and, you know, there's, there's obviously things there which is a little bit more deep-seated within themselves who maybe have these insecurities. So they see that as a way of, you know, expressing confidence where quite possibly they are very confident behind closed doors i mean what has your experience been like on instagram have you because i always kind of talk to people on social media as well i mean how's your experiences been on like social media i've really i've built some really good connections on there um i think people have been really supportive um yeah generally it's been positive oh, that's um good. 
But interesting what you say there about the heal, because you asked me earlier about like what the healing journey and everything looked like. Um, so with like the materialistic side of things, that was one thing. So I just bought a beautiful big house. Everything looked perfect from the outside. I had the career and everything. And then all this stuff happened, um, which I probably will talk about one day. But yeah, um, and I left the big house. It was out of where I lived, at, where I live now. Um, so I left it and I moved back to York because that's where my family was. And I literally just started from scratch. I even like donated all my clothes apart from about four outfits um to a local charity that was close to my heart and I literally and that was really powerful like stripping back everything material I still had my car um but yeah I just stripped back everything and it was like so powerful like that feeling of like just being free like yeah it was amazing um so it's interesting that you just touched upon that um because from that, I was, I was like, yes, I'm going to lead, lead like a minimalist lifestyle. I want to go live off grid. <laughs> I think most people, <laughs> when they're like, I just want to go live somewhere like, yeah, no people, just like off grid, animals. <laughs> um, that's changed slightly now. I have just moved somewhere more quiet. Um, but yeah, I think it was, for me, it was like stripping it back, back to basics and really realising what is important to me. And that is, you know, my little boy and my family being close to them and everything else, you know. The only thing really I need money for is to be free and to be able to choose a lifestyle that I would, you know, prefer to lead. Yeah, um, yeah. Like to get me to that off-grid small holding. Yeah, know? yeah. I we, I always do that where we'll we'll be driving somewhere and my wife will go because I always say I'd, I'd love to live in the country. I absolutely love it. I could mm-hmm. I, I love the peace and tranquility of of the country. I think that was one thing actually really. That I know they want people say they want a lot of things to enjoy about when we was in lockdown and stuff, but that was the one thing I think I, I enjoyed the most is sitting in my garden and you couldn't hear like the the, the hustle and bustle of all the buses and the traffic and you know. Yeah it was just peaceful and you could hear nature for for the first time. My wife always, we drive by all these really remote like farmhouses and my wife will go, oh, would you live there? And I'm like, nah, it's not remote enough. Oh, <laughs> she's really? like, like, where do you want to live? Like, uh, I don't know, you know, but she's like, oh, I don't want to live in the middle of a field, you know, like, because have you seen all the horror movies? Like, yeah, but it, <laughs> for, for me, but, you know, I, I think it's just, I, I like the idea of just being in, kind of like that peace and tranquility and sometimes a hustle and bustle of everything around is is sometimes a bit too much plus i've just um only recently um been diagnosed with adhd as well which had which is also kind of thinking why I, I i don't do massively well in really busy places so it kind of overstimulates me really but yeah. anyway getting off topic it told you i go on a tangent as well so that's really relevant isn't it because I think that's been highlighted a lot recently um so how was that process for you of being diagnosed um I think do you know what right it was it was one of these things that kind of came up and and I I only recognized it because I went to university well I'm still at university now so I'm last year but I went to university and I started recognizing that 
when when I was in lectures, there'd be maybe 15, 20 minutes that'd go by and I haven't taken anything in. And it'd almost be like, I almost felt like I'd had a nap for 20 minutes, but I was in the room. Like, it was like, uh, so the, the, the teacher or the, the lecturer would start and then like 15, 20 minutes ago and I'd be like, right, okay, what's just happened there? Like, I haven't really taken anything in. Yeah. And yeah, I've been typing, but I couldn't actually fathom. So then I started to to kind of start tracking things a little bit more and starting to be a little bit more, uh, I suppose, aware of what was going on. And I started recognising that there was so many different thoughts going on in my head at once um, that it was almost impossible to to focus on what was going on within the room. Um, I actually did a recording because uh, I I got I was lucky enough to um do a workshop at the Adshi conference uh about ADHD this year because I'd worked on a community project at um at university and one of the things was is to kind of come up with a recording for like an experience how it would be to be in my head for a lecture and all it is it's just you hear the lecturer's voice and then it's just all these different voices and there's even music and stuff as well you know but that it was almost like the, the only other way I could ex- kind of explain it is it sounds like a hive of bees and you've got to listen. So you're right in the middle of this hive of bees, but you've got to try and listen to someone on the outside of that hive. But all you, all these these bees kind of buzzing is your in, is, is your kind of internal monologue. So it's trying to see through all of those different buzzes what's going on on the outside. So I managed to get a, a diag well a, an a, an assessment through university, and then that came you know came back that. Yeah, it was um, combined ADHD and borderline autistic as well. So oh. these things that really didn't, I didn't think of anything. I thought it was just all maybe to do with my mental health at the time and going through depression and everything. But then I started to kind of process that there's a good possibility that this has had a detrimental effect on on my mental health. It's also maybe attributed to other things which have happened as well in the past. And even through kind of cycling back and talking to like family members and stuff and even talking to friends. And it's funny because I said to one of my friends, I said, oh, I've, uh, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. And she went, I could have told you that ages ago. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, oh, I could have told you that ages ago because you were always one at work who wouldn't stop. You couldn't stand still. Whereas people would maybe do something at work and go stand still and have a chat and everything. I used to have to be doing something all the time. I always had to be doing, you know, it'd be, right, I've done that, right, I'll have, I'll have to go do that now. Or I'd sometimes make jobs because I couldn't kind of stand still. So it was, a, it was an awkward thing to go through at the time because I just thought, oh, my God, something else to deal with. However, it's also... I, it, it, I'm so glad for getting that diagnosis because it's actually given me clarity now to move forward. Um, kind of learn a lot more about ADHD and its effects. I've started some new medication now as well, which um is is in a bit of a I have to take it for 35 days and then after that then I go back and 
see another specialist. But it's also it's given me a lot more clarity, I think, to move forward. Um and recognise that some things weren't just to do with mental health, they were to do with possibly a learning difference as well. So yeah, it, it was it was a it was an interesting kind of time at when it first happened, but yeah, I I I I definitely think it's been for the best, hundred percent. That's great. So so you mentioned so you're on medication now for that. So have you had any is there any support available like with how you would because you've mentioned um you know when you sit there and like it's like a beehive and you're trying to listen to someone. Um I mean, is so is the medication for that or is are there coping strategies that anyone's advised you around that? How, yeah, I mean how... it's a, there's a there's a lot of different things really. Um the so I so luckily I'm part of a of a community at university which I've been a community partner with, but I get to work with some amazing individuals who have given me so many different tips and you know work basically through being in that community as well, you get to go to all the community meetings where you basically sit down and learn new learning techniques and study techniques and that's been a real help and through it was funny through getting through getting my diagnosis i was able to apply for uh, the disablement support allowance through university but for ages i was like i'm not disabled i don't need i don't need to apply for it and then they ended up kind of saying look apply for it because it's it's not it's not like a payment where you're going to be taking cuz i used to think i can't take that cuz i feel like a fraud do you know like i'm not disabled but they said it's not like you get money to spend on whatever. While you're at university, you get it on assistive software. You get it on uh, Dragon software. So that's kind of talking because I, I struggle with even writing. So if I get to talk things out, it's talk to type. So I can talk a lot more things out because I struggle with reading because I can't um, like hyper-focus on, on reading. Sometimes the words kind of jumble up it's given me different fonts to work with so it makes it easier also i can highlight some of it and it'll speak out in my ears so all these different things have come forward through through getting that help the medication basically is i'm trying to think of it so it's basically like a like a stimulant but the stimulant is to activate certain receptors in your brains which is when you have adhd they're slightly slower to, to activate especially when it comes to um focus and um kind of f- focusing hyper focusing on on things so you don't really require much of a stimulus to be able to sorry you get over stimuli so what these do is these turn these receptors on so then the stimulus then reduces so you're not as distracted by other things which are going on around you so but it, it it's one of those things where it's in the test at the moment, but it may need to level out a little bit along the way. Yeah, well, you mentioned there was stimulus because I listened, I follow uh, Gabor Mate. Uh, he does a lot of work around trauma and he has done some research around ADHD and he sort of mentioned that the ADHD medication is amphetamine. Yeah, That's yeah. Like, right, but if you're saying it's a stimulant, that would make sense. Yeah, but... yeah. Because I think it is. It is. It, oh, it's something fetamine. But yeah, 
But it's when he said Fetterman, I thought, is it meth? Like meth and Fetterman, what they're putting me on here? But yeah, um, but yeah, it's basically like a, just like a stimulant, and it is it is just kind of there to to activate this this certain receptor in your brain, which is kind of almost dulled when when you when you have ADHD, and because it it's kind of like obviously like an like I think more of a, an imbalance of certain hormones in the brain. Um, I mean, I'm not massively hundred percent sure which one, because as I say, the brain is such a unbelievable supercomputer that yeah, getting into all the different terminologies and everything for it's absolutely unreal. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's been a journey and it's been something that you know, obviously I always kind of say like this is what it is. It's a journey. You're yeah. on this and. You know, some people don't like to see it like that, but I think you know, I think recovery is all recovery, and and I suppose finding yourself is always going to be a, a a kind of a journey which is ongoing. Never a kind of finished article all the way to the end. It's more right. I'm um, you know, I'm gonna have to put the work in. Like I've even come to the fact that. I mean, I might be on this ADHD medication for the rest of my life. I might be on my antidepressants for the rest of the life. But if that's what keeps me here now, living the life that I feel like I'm in, then I'm happy with it. That's yeah. that's fine with me, you know. But I'm always I'm always open to other to other things as well. I never kind of like to just say I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. So and hypnotherapy. I'm, I must admit, hypnotherapy is on the list to do as well. I think it'd be a a good thing to do. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. So part of my so when I'm on Instagram, that's I like to like raise awareness around it. And I know there have been a few um other professionals like in the counseling capacity that have decided they're gonna add hypnosis to the toolkit, which is really good. You know, it's really positive. So yeah, a lot of people, but like you've mentioned there as well about sort of the healing journey. I always say sort of it is a journey as well um because even though I've been on this process you know I've worked through all this stuff it is a lifelong journey there's times where I slip out of like a routine or you know I don't do certain things that have helped me and I'm like oh I'm really feeling it. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or it's like oh it's because you've stopped doing what's really helping you or yeah yeah um, or like if I get triggered, someone might say something or I might see something and I might, you might trigger something within me. And I'm thinking, but now that I'm aware of, you know, what it is, I'm like, actually, what's this telling me? Is there a part of me that I've not sort of dealt with yet? You know, is there an issue within? Um, so, yeah, and that's, you know, I'm accepting that that's going to be lifelong as well because we are all humans, aren't we? And there's always going to be things in our life that we've got to navigate. 100%. Um, Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, nothing's nothing's forever, is it? So it's just about building building your own resilience and building your own toolkit to be able to navigate whatever life throws at you. And that's what I try and do within my therapy is just to help people bring people back to themselves and realize that everything is already within you. There's just things that maybe you don't know yet like there's things you know different tools and techniques or strategies or um so that you know we're all equipped to go to go on and live life and navigate it yeah yeah despite that just love it so coming to the end of the podcast i always 
I always ask the same question to every guest that we have on. And if you had one, if you could give one nugget of advice, which you think, yeah, if you give one little golden nugget of advice to anybody who's listening now, what would that advice be, especially around like mental health? Listen to yourself, go within and listen to yourself. Like even the noise of anyone outside of you, just go and listen to your instincts um, and find that power within. Because I think that's sometimes really hard with like the distraction of everything going on, but allowing yourself that time to just, um, yeah, go within sometimes and listen to yourself and your intuition. Amazing. Love that. Do you know what? And I think I think that's one I haven't heard yet as well. Yeah. That yeah. And and do you know what? Some sometimes you'll you'll get especially at the end. And yeah, I always like to ask that question because I always like to say, I mean, what this'll be God, this is a podcast like ninety seven this'll be. But I think in all them podcasts, everybody's everybody's kind of advice is slightly different. And and that's what I love because everybody will have a different advice or a different, you know, thing that's been helpful to them. So yeah, but that I love that one. Listen to yourself, brilliant, love that. Um, it sounds simple, but it's actually really hard because yeah. we've had voices from our parents, our teachers, you know, everyone work, and it's always what we should do and everything like that. But actually, if we take time out, like you said, give yourself a day and just be like, actually, what's important to me? What am I feeling? So although it sounds simple, it's actually really hard to do. But when you can get yourself to that place, and that's where I try and get people to be in that power within, you know, find that within themselves. Um, I think it's powerful. Definitely, 100%. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us here today. So you can find Antonia on Instagram. Is it Antonia Hutchinson yeah. Hypnotherapy? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was. But I'll put all the links in the um on Spotify and any of the things as well. So we'll make sure that they're all advertised. But yeah, if you're listening to this, you know, don't close your mind to it. You know, open up open up those things. I think I'm gonna definitely do it as well. Someone who who maybe in the past wasn't thinking of all these for you know, the possibility of doing this. But yeah, the more I speak to people and people like yourself it definitely seems like a, you know, like it's just, it's another option to to explore and another option to, to kind of develop. So thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. This, uh, um, and thank you for giving your time. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been a great chat. Brilliant. So, and then for everyone else, I'll see you on the next podcast.